Welcome to episode number 14 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, just started uh, uh, back up with school again. I got one more math class left, and then I'm done with my AA transfer degree. So I'm looking forward to being done with this step uh, of my college, uh, technically career so far, because college is kind of a career for me right now. <laughs> so I don't have a job, so... Unless this counts, but not really. Maybe one day it'll count if we ever set up a, <laughs> if we ever set up a Patreon, which we were thinking about doing, um, like offering some additional content, um, like through the Patreon, like the perks or whatever. I don't know if anyone would be interested in that or not. Uh, if you are, let us know. Uh, we'll probably still do it anyway down the road because this thing's just like growing and growing and. You know, just be a way to give you some extra stuff. If you're really into the podcast, you can kick us some shekels and get some uh, extra stuff for your internet dollars. Anyway, um, I'm doing pretty good. I've just come off of uh, being sick. Uh, I am still sick, uh, the, but I'm in the sinus drainage part of being sick where it's not like the worst point. It's like you're recovering. Um been doing a lot of gigs in my personal life, like a lot of wedding gigs and just Sweet 16s. I did a Sweet 16 party the other day, and it was depressing because it reminded me about how that time in my life was so crappy and how these kids were just so happy and had the whole world ahead of them. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm some 28-year-old DJ at their party going like, yeah, when I was your age, I was fat and nobody wanted to talk to me. Uh, so that was kind of... A... I mean, you're not, you're not alone there. I mean, my my i didn't go to the prom or any of that like it was just lame and you know we didn't even have the option though because i went to a shitty ass christian private school so they didn't have they had their version of of prom was so lame that you couldn't even dance with your date you just sat there and ate there was no dances there was no nothing and then they just played like really bad Christian music. I don't even think they played Christian, Christian rock. I don't think they played any music. It was like it was literally like a thirty-minute event. It was so lame. But that is lame. Yeah. <laughs> so like whenever yeah. I go and DJ these parties, you know, like these proms stuff, it, it really is. It brings me back to like kind of a sad point in my life where it's like, wow, I didn't get to experience any of this, and look how much fun these kids are having. This well, you know, it's just one moment. I mean, it, it's. How I look at it is, yeah, they could have had fun that one night, but it's not like it's a life-changing moment for these kids. Yeah, and that's why I, I, I shortly get over it soon after the gig. But, like, while I'm there, I'm just kind of, like, in the rest of that night, I'm just kind of lamenting, you know. But, I mean, I'm happy I got the work. I'm happy I am getting these parties. A hell of a lot better than working some 9-to-5 bullshit, you know, job. You know, I'll deal with my inner sad boy, you know, rather than <laughs> work at a cubicle. Yeah, I mean... You're you're doing really well. I mean, for me personally, I, I just I would just I just don't take any job right now. So Yeah, well I mean shit, you know, gives you more dude, if I didn't have these jobs, God, I'd, I'd be able to work on my YouTube channel so much more, which would be great, because my YouTube channel's been very sleepy lately, because I've been so fucking busy. This podcast is a priority to me, though, just because so many people like it, so I'm, I'm always going to make time for this, but uh, yeah, I, all my other stuff has been suffering, like, big time. Yeah. So uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this shit. Uh, the first segment that we're going to be talking about is off the Ultimate Collection on the Bizarre Murders. It's called Burned Evidence. 
this was a request, but this is one that also I wanted to talk about at some point, but when the person requested it, it kind of jogged my memory. Now, this is basically a, this is a murder case, but what's kind of unique about this one is there are three very colorful characters who are all suspects in this murder, and you got the sheriff, you got the best friend, and you got the business consultant, and... All three of them, it's almost like a game of Clue or something. It's almost like, you know, they're they're all saying that they didn't do it and they're accusing the other one of doing it and they all have their various yeah. reasons. And this is like a real-life thing that happens, so it's pretty interesting. Like, that's what makes this case particularly interesting. Um, yeah. So I can, I'll dive into it here. Um, so the segment starts off by saying, um, Eric Tamiasu and Diana Anderson had known each other for years, but this night was their first date. Eric was an attentive host, and the date seemed to be going well. Around 11 p.m., though, the couple started being harassed by bizarre tapping sounds and knockings at their door, or at Eric's door. It's like the whackers, the people who were whacking the whackers. All yeah, over again. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, but th th these guys weren't as good as the people who terrorized the whackers because footsteps could be heard running away from the door and all that. Um, and then I'll get to much later on in this segment, a footprint was, a shoe print was actually found in the, uh, their yard. Um, so yeah, they they were being harassed, like strangely. And, um, you know, uh, Diana was quoted by saying, you know, it was not funny, especially at that time of night when I was having to get in my car and drive home. Now see, Diana is what I call a good shit because Diana is not expecting to spend the night at Eric's house. She ha hangs out and then leaves. That's, yeah. that's just a good practice, exactly. Ladies, <laughs> don't spend the night at the house on and, the first date. Yeah, and linger. You know, get take the money and run, man. Like, like sleep in your own bed that night. Just wait. So, yeah. for a take it on the run, baby. Oh, that's another. That's the way you want it, baby. That's another song about running. <laughs> I was thinking about the Steve Miller song. Go on, take the money and run. And run. <laughs> um, but. That would be the last time that Eric was seen alive when Diane left that night. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Eric's home was located in a re remote area outside of a town by a fruit orchard that he owned and operated. It was like his in business. Hood River, Oregon. Hood River, Oregon. Yeah, actually, a lot of the cases we're going to be talking about are like right in your backyard again, Mike. Yeah, so I'm going to yeah. be pestering you about details. I've, I've been to Hood River. Uh, the one thing I remember the most is my me and my parents, we went to a bar and grill because it was late at night and it was the only place that was open for food and we ordered some calamari but they did not mention that this was fire hot calamari and it was, there was like jalapenos like just tons of them with the calamari with the seeds and everything and there's nothing on the menu that said super spicy you know calamari it just said calamari so there was no other place to eat, so we just had to soldier through. It, it, it was just very – I was hungry, but at the same time, it's like one of those things where it just burns so much and it's so uncomfortable and so painful that it's just like I'd, – I'd be fine if I just fasted for the rest of it. This whole time, I'm trying to think of like – like some kind of mysterious like tent I can put on that story or some mysterious angle. I just got nothing. <laughs> Mike and, and the mystery of the, 
calamari in Hood River, Oregon. Why? Well, the mystery is why they didn't label the, the calamari <laughs> as being spicy. Oh my it. god! <laughs> that, I don't. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> We're talking about a murder story, and you're going into this you're, this calamari. I, I was expecting a better Hood River uh, uh, account here that you personally had, but all, you, all it was was <laughs> spicy calamari. But but no, you actually do have a story about this that we're going to get into. Uh, we're, yes, I do. Um, so I'll make up for that. So that <laughs> I'll make up for that one. Um, so yeah, this guy owned a fruit orchard and. He operated and all, and um, a week after Eric's date with Diana, Don Dixon, a friend and business consultant uh, to Eric, drove out to check on him because for several days, uh, he Eric or Don was having a field phone calls from other friends asking about where's Eric, why you know we've been trying to reach him. So Don entered through the back of Eric's house with a key that Eric had given him, and as soon as he walked in, he was greeted by a strong odor. Uh, according to Don, this was an odor that he had never smelled before. He was hoping that it was just the trash that hadn't been taken out. Yeah. Um, but um, he, wishful thinking. Yeah, wishful thinking to say the least. As Don called out for Eric, he got no response. So he then eventually headed up to the master bedroom, and they found the body of Eric Tamiasu in his bed. Um, quote: There's no question in my mind that he was dead. So I said a prayer went downstairs and called 911 and asked for assistance. Now, so speaking of Don, right. This is what we are Don Dixon, uh, there's the story that, you know, uh, I was going to talk about and that Josh is mentioning. Um, my mom for many years, uh, she uh, was a phlebotomist and a phlebotomist is basically the person who draws your blood. Oh, I didn't know. So that. my mom actually drew this guy's blood <laughs> Oh Which gosh. is really crazy because we were watching this segment together and my mom's like, I know that guy. <laughs> I drew his blood, you know, so my mom knows one of the suspects, like doesn't know them, re doesn't know him really well. But had Just, a personal encounter. A personal encounter with uh, someone who was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Which is pretty cool, I think. Especially, yeah. especially if the segment made it to the ultimate collection box set and is a higher kind of profile. Well, not a high profile case per se, but it it was good enough that they put it on the box. So I mean, that that's that's pretty cool, I think. And you all hopefully think that too. Um, <laughs> it's certainly much cooler than the spicy calamari that that uh, Mike <laughs> had in Hood River, Oregon. Um, Definitely a lot cooler than that. But this guy Don though, like he's so wormy. He's like this little yeah. he's like this little dweeb. Like that's the word yeah. I would use to describe him. He's a little dweeb. He's very wormy and he's he, I don't trust him very much, but then again, yeah. I don't really trust any of these guys a whole hell of a lot. Um So the investigators from the sheriff's department quickly arrived on the scene. Um, they, de they decided at that current moment that it was an unattended death. Now, whether it was a medical problem or a heart attack, they didn't know, but they said that there was no indication of foul play. Now, at the time of his death, Eric didn't seem to have an enemy in the world, but an autopsy would reveal that he had three gunshot wounds to his head. Uh, the incredible level of decomposition disguised the true nature of his death. Now, think about that. Like, that's pretty, it's pretty intense. I mean, I guess the guy would have been dead for within the border of a week at least time. a few days yeah at least a few days 
I mean, that's crazy, man, that, like, the body would decompose that fast to where you... But then it, then again, though, you know, if you ever watch those, like, murder mystery shows, like, like bullet wounds to the head are kind of difficult to see, even if it's a fresh body, because, you know, you have all that hair on your head that, that usually, like, kind of covers the wounds as well, so that, that might be um, another... Unless you have really short hair, then... Yeah, be... yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... That disguised the nature of his death. Um, who care, killed Eric Tamiyasu? Uh, the investigation has focused on three potential suspects who have all participated to be interviewed in this segment, that segment, whatever. Uh, one of the suspects happens to be the sheriff involved in the case. Um, as Eric's body was being removed from its house, Sheriff Joe Wapner approached Don Dixon with a strange request. He said, uh, quote, um, this is Don um, quoting the sheriff, I believe. He said, uh, you know, we've looked for a gun. We've looked for bullets. To spare the family any discomfort or trauma, we're going to bring the bed out, and we want you to burn it, end quote. That's what Don yeah, said to the sheriff. That, that is so bizarre. I that is, the, that is one of the main things about this case that just makes me really shake my head. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, you, you, the family grief and discomfort. We're gonna bring the bedding, bedding out. We want you to burn it. That's evidence, right? The uh, family isn't going to see the bedding, or, or in the first place. What are you gonna put the bedding on display at the funeral? I mean, what the fuck? I mean, I don't know. Like after everything's all said and done, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly know how like crime scene investigators. I don't know how they. Evidence. Uh, they yeah they probably would have taken it with them i mean that that to me just like reeks of sloppy police work 101 or corrupt police work 101 yeah. what, whichever 101 you want to take whichever class you want to take on someone's shitty being lazy and sloppy or someone is trying to cover something up right but you know don being the kind of wormy guy he is he didn't really question it he he just kind of followed I orders <laughs> yeah i would have too like I'm not burning this. If you want to burn evidence, then you burn the evidence. <laughs> well, then, too, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, he said, you know, we're going to take the bedding outside and we want you to burn it. And, uh, like, my first question would be like, well, why, why, yeah, why am I in charge of that? Yeah. So the next day, um, Don did exactly what the sheriff ordered him to. He he brought the or he you know lit it on fire and and burned the bed and and nothing remained but a metal frame and a pile of ashes. Uh, the coroner was surprised uh, to find three small caliber bullets though were lodged in uh, Eric's head. Investigators had a homicide on their hands at that point. Obviously, now you know you could say suicide at first. Um, and that was actually Don's, uh, theory because Eric had been depressed or whatever, but three bullet wounds to the back of the head. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a, that's a homicide. Cause you know, unless, unless that's, you're holding a semi-automatic to your head, yeah. you're, you're not getting, you're not getting more no. than one in there. Three bullets in the head is a typical sort of contract, you know, hit, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Just to make sure the job's done. Yeah. Um, because of the decision to burn the bed, uh, valuable clues had been lost and quote, based on, exactly. um, and this, this is, this is the sheriff and I gotta, I gotta try to impersonate this guy's voice. Cause he has such a weird, like doofus kind of sounding voice. Every single person in this, in this 
segment is a, kind of a doofus in their own way. He, <laughs> he, he was quoted as saying, Based on the fact that this wasn't going to be a homicide investigation, due to the lack of evidence, it was my decision to burn the bed. The family, they, they just might appreciate not having to view the horrific things that were left behind. I know, yeah. <laughs> they just they just might. They just might appreciate it. Yeah, this is the whole quote, the direct quote. Uh, he's like, based on the lack of evidence, this is going to turn into a criminal case. It was my decision to burn the bed. It was my decision at the time because a family, they might just actually appreciate not having to go through the trauma of viewing the horrid things that we were left behind. And yes, I sound like Dr. Phil. <laughs> You're responsible for your own unhappiness. unhappiness. <laughs> <laughs> but the sheriff um, could have had darker intentions. Don Dixon, who seems to be kind of the caveat in this whole thing, or the ca the, the, the kind of main yeah. centerpiece, um, he mentions a conversation that he had with Eric before his death about Eric talking about some Polynesian woman he had been seeing who was older. And according to Don, you know, the rumor mill was that the sheriff's wife is Polynesian and older than Eric. Yeah, that's just a bunch of hearsay conjecture and just yeah rumor then the sheriff comes in again i've heard i've heard that my wife was having an affair with eric so in retaliation i went up to eric's room shot him and even went through the trouble of burning all the evidence if that's what they think they're looking in the wrong direction he was just so matter of fact about it you know he was he was kind of defensive about yeah, it. yeah yeah he was kind like, of defensive yeah he he he, he had an attitude he, yeah. he had an attitude problem, it seemed like. Seemed like this guy... If I had nothing to do with it, I'd just be like, I, I've heard all this stuff, I didn't do anything. Don Dixon seemed a little bit more with the way that he, you know, was responding to the accusations and stuff like that. Um, as well as his other friend, you know, Eric's other friend. You know, the one that was really defensive was a sheriff. Yeah. So now we get into uh, Eric's longtime friend, who's also named Eric, so this is just going to get confusing. His, his last name's Smith, Eric Smith. Uh, so I'll just call him, I guess, Smith or something. Um, he's seen as suspect number two. Uh, Don, yet again, old Donnie boy, being the main factor in all these stories, Don walked by, was walking by, uh, I guess, the office that they were in or something one time and overheard Eric and his other friend, or Eric both Eric's, um, were having a heated argument about some money that had been invested into some business that the two men ran together and how Eric needed that money for his failing orchard business and how he felt like Eric Smith was either, you know, not managing it properly or something like that. And when Dixon approached Eric after the argument, all Eric had to say yeah, you know, he was clearly upset, and he said, that son of a bitch, referring to Eric Smith, his friend that he was, you know, in that business with. Then he got into his car, and those were the last words that he heard from Eric Tamiasu, uh, Don Dixon. That was the last words that Don Dixon heard from Eric Well, Tomiasu. he's pretty defensive here, too, Eric Smith. I forgot about this one, where he's all like, I can tell you flat out for a fact, Eric and I did not have an argument. Eric didn't owe me money. I didn't owe him money. Don lives in a fantasy world. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think I really didn't get the sense that I think Eric Smith was the least defensive amongst the three of them. He, yeah, exactly. he's he's just kind of your what I would have. I've never been up there. He's what I would imagine your typical Pacific Northwest hippie, long hair and a ponytail, <laughs> just kind of you know, yeah, hipster. Yeah. yeah, like one of the OG hipsters, just like you know, <laughs> I didn't know him money. He didn't know me money. Don lives in a fantasy world. Yeah. So the police believe that the amount of money that was actually invested into this business was far less than what Don Dixon has been claiming. Like he said, like fifty to sixty thousand dollars or whatever. When in actuality, it was only fifteen k that each one of them had invested. Yeah. Um, the business, the used car business, which is the business that they were, you know, investing in, it, it eventually flopped. Whatever. So now we get into potential suspect number three, which is the man who discovered the body, Mr. Squiggle Worm himself, Don Dixon, a.k.a. the guy who uh, once got blood drawn by Mike's mom. Um, many people don't think Eric was as close to Don Dixon as Don claims he was. Yeah, that's what's interesting. Like, the one where it's like, he doesn't, no one, you know, you know, people didn't, Eric's friends didn't even know who this guy was. (laughs) Yeah, Eric Smith said, quote, what Eric told me was that Don is someone that he bought spray from, period. If you talk to Eric's friends, most of them don't even know who Don is, which that's neither here nor there with me. I mean, the fact that, I mean, I have, like you, Mike, for example. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, none of my friends know who you are. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't make you any more or less guilty of anything. Exactly. Although I do think you're hiding a lot of secrets about Bigfoot over there up in the Pacific Northwest, but that's another story. Um, so it was Don Dixon, though, who notified Eric's sister, Ramona, who's hot, by the way, uh, of Eric's death minutes after he found the body. And he said, quote, it didn't look like there was any foul play, didn't appear to be any exit wounds. And then Ramona, Eric's sister, was just like, what? Why, why would there be gunshot wounds? What what are you talking about? Like, what are you even like exit wounds? Why are you even mentioning this? Basically, yeah, I could see why Don said what he did. I could too. Like, I don't really get why she thinks that's suspicious. I get, I, I mean, get why she does, but I also get why he said what he said. I get both. Sides. I, I guess you could, but I mean, if you were involved in something, who the hell would call and say like, yeah, doesn't there, there doesn't appear. There are doesn't appear that there are any exit wounds, and there was no foul play. Yeah, but you gotta look at the kind of guy that Don was. He he he's he's an intellectual type. He seems to be yeah, more of exactly. a you know more of your nerdier kind of guy. So he but would if he if he was involved in the crime, I don't think he would say anything about it. I highly doubt it. Yeah, that's true. He probably wouldn't be throwing around terms like, oh, I don't see any exit wounds. This is just a nerdy guy who maybe watched a little too many crime shows back at that time. uh, Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Yeah, watching too many Unsolved Mysteries. And he's like, I don't, you know, anybody who watches CSI or anything like that, if they were to find a body, they they might drop some terminologies like that. Hell, I watched a lot of Investigation Discovery back in the day. And when I... Yeah. And, and I learned about the term malingering, which is a courtroom term that basically means someone's faking it. And so when I talked to uh, when I got into my car accident, I was talking to the insurance representative. I was uh, describing something about the lady who hit me. And I said, no, no, she's malingering. 
And then, like, after the call, I was like, I felt like such a douche because I'm like, you, you oh, Mr. <laughs> lawyer over here, throwing around your big investigation discovery terms, so throwing around uh, malingering like you're some big shot. Like, I'm very hard on myself, folks. Um, I felt like a douche, though, for saying, like, it's like, wow, that, that's one of those cases where using big words just makes you sound like a douchebag. Ra- rather than saying it, putting it simply to where, in a way that everyone would understand, you're wanting to sound like you're smarter than everybody else. And I guess I was kind of doing that in that uh, particular uh, sense. But I felt like if I use big words, maybe they think they take me more like legit, you know, on the phone. Whatever. I still got that the is check. if they know what it means. Yeah, right. Which she probably she's like malingering. I only get paid eight fifty to sit here and, you know, take people's calls for this insurance company. I just got people from my insurance company trying to trick me, trying to call me later and say, oh, we lost your uh, uh phone conversation where you talked about the accident and then i'm like no i don't buy that at all <laughs> oh that and no i you? didn't and, th- and then they later called but then they were like yeah we found it i'm like yeah all right thank you <laughs> like it's just a file that's on the like on the ground or something like an audio file that's just sitting on the ground or something like oh here's that phone conversation <laughs> found it it was, so, it was so it was such a total they're trying to get me to say uh, something that's conflicting. Yeah, get you to yeah. contradict yourself. Yeah. Um. So, um, Eric's or or Don Dixon's response to the whole exit wound comment. He was like, "Well, when I first discovered the body, I looked closely to see if there were any gunshot wounds. Uh, I thought uh, a logical reason why Eric was dead was suicide. Eric had yeah. been really depressed, so you know he he closely examined the body." to look for gunshot wounds, which kind of goes into why I understand why he made that comment to the sister. Because, I mean, if someone's laying dead in bed, you know, look, Eric was a young guy. He looked like he was in good health from the pictures that they showed. He he doesn't exactly look like the kind of guy that uh, would just be lying dead in in a bed for no reason, you know. But sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens. There are people who are in peak uh, health condition. They're in peak, their peak prime condition. And they just have a brain aneurysm or a heart attack or something. It's just very, very rare, sad. very rare, but it happens. So uh, police theorize that the killer not only knew the layout of the home, but also the remote location of the home. Uh, the murder weapon was a small caliber handgun and it was never found. Um, and one final twist, what I mentioned earlier, uh, Diane Anderson, the chick who was on the date with Eric, uh, that one night that was saying how they did find that single unexplained shoe print outside of Eric's house, which would have definitely been a clue, but heavy rains in the following days of their date washed away any evidence made that night, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, kind of the last words of each person on here I wrote down. The sheriff said, you know, all his closing words was, I did not have anything to do with the death of Eric Tamiyasu. And then his friend Eric Smith said, Eric was my best friend. He was the best man at my wedding. He was like my brother. So obviously that's him saying that he didn't do it. And then Don is the last guy. He says, I have no way of knowing who was involved in Eric Tamiyasu's death. The only ones that I know that didn't do it was myself and my wife. Everyone else is suspect. And so that's there you have it. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the case. I guess in the in the meantime, uh, all the suspects in the case that passed polygraph tests arranged by the Hood River County Sheriff Department except for one, Don Dixon. Ooh. Dixon eventually took an independently administered polygraph. The sheriff's department says the results were inconclusive. Once again, polygraph tests aren't the end-all, be-all. No, not the um, But in the meantime, someone someone in Hood River has gotten away with murder. 
which yeah, I'm sure all of you have Robert Sack's voice in your head at this point. He, he, he'll deliver it better than, than we ever could. The interesting thing about polygraphs are they're more of a psychological tool used by police than anything else. They're not even admissible in court as evidence, first of all. No, not anymore. Oh, they were at one point? I probably, I, I would probably say they probably were at one point, like when they were first invented, but probably not anymore. Oh, I know for a fact that they're not anymore. You cannot use... Oh, any, I, I know, yeah. Yeah, you can't use the results of a polygraph for for any... It's 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 an investigative tool to get in someone's head or to see... It's it's really to see how they react from upon them first asking if you... Would you be willing to take one? And how does, how does the, the suspect react to that question? Are they open to taking it? Are they uh, reluctant, as you'll see later on with this other case we're about to cover? Um, you know, so that that's kind of a big reason they use it. It's just a tool. It's not... It doesn't really prove anything one way or the other. But I will say, though, if the polygraph turns out... Uh, if they pass a polygraph test then police tend to not look at them as much yeah. as a, a subject as they exactly. would if they fail it. But it's well, not damning yeah. by any means. When it comes to this case, um, first off, I look at the whole thing. I, I'm like, where's the motive? I don't know what Don's motive would be. It doesn't seem like they even talked about a potential motive for Don. Um, the other other people seems like a bunch of hearsay the sheriff is kind of fishy but then all we really have is just this rumor mill stuff from don so i don't know really i, I think this is just a very uh, there's not enough evidence here for me to make a conclusion on oh th i think this person did it I, there really isn't enough there for me personally but if don did do it him saying he didn't do it doesn't mean anything because as we know, in multiple segments of Unsolved Mysteries, there are people who sit, sit there with a straight face right in front of the camera, like that guy who lost his little girl. Yeah. It was his son, wasn't it? Yeah, it was his son. Not a little girl, but it was his son. And he said, oh, blah, 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 I didn't do it, da, 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 and then find out, well, no, he did. He but it, was an, wasn't it. It, it was an accident, though. And he... No, he hit him, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're talking about a case that <laughs> nobody knows about except for us two. Exactly, uh, but it was a, it was a very I thought it was a very uh, interesting, somewhat memorable case. It, it was also talking. You know, the final the update was. Yeah. It was just like what? <laughs> it also yeah, reminded me of um, the backyard bones um, case, which is on the ultimate uh, collection under bizarre murders, where um, Monica Rizzo. Um, disappeared and um, police. Uh, the, there was this anonymous phone. This is a great case, actually. We need to talk about this one. Um, the, uh, there was an anonymous phone call to the police department saying that her bones were in the backyard of, of uh, the husband's house. And so they went, police went and investigated the guy's backyard and they found like all these bones from all these different bodies in his backyard and some of them were finely chipped up like from a wood chipper and some were like normal and some still had some greasy film on there like they're new and all the the husband i'd say was i don't know how those bones got back there i never rented a wood chipper i don't know where my wife was and there was like just all this sketchy shit like there why, does, was... why does he sound like richard nixon <laughs> i am not a crook <laughs> 
Um, because that's how he talked. His voice annoyed me. Um, but yeah, dude, it, it, and they actually have a commentary on this on the Ultimate Collection, where uh, some of the writers for the show like did a commentary. The commentaries are notoriously uh, sparse on the Ultimate Collection. The comment, like the segments that do have commentaries, mm. they're very. Uh, I guess the people giving the commentaries like haven't done commentaries on things very much because they weren't super great at it. There, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times they would talk for like the first two or three minutes of the segment, and then they'd be like, "Well, it, we'll just let you guys enjoy the rest of the segment. We'll stop talking now." And it's like, "No, this is the audio commentary part. Like, this is why we're here to hear <laughs> people from the show give us some behind the scenes." But on that particular one, those even the guy, the writers of the show were like. This guy is so guilty. It was so obvious when we were doing the show. He's like, this guy just reeked of guilt and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's, that's a really good segment. It's called Backyard Bones. Um, I don't know what season it's on, but we'll have to talk about that at some point. But uh, yeah, I kind of forgot how I even got on that topic, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because I thought you were talking about people who sounded like they were innocent, you know, they, but in reality, they were. Oh, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, that's that's Don Dixon, uh, you know, is, is or that's that could be anyone on here. You know, they all sound yeah. innocent. And um, as far as who did it, I mean, someone did it. It was obviously yeah. some kind of a, I don't know, a contract killing or revenge killing or something. Somebody did it. Somebody murdered him. He did not kill himself. Um they never really mention anything about uh, fingerprints or anything like that in the show, so I'm guessing they didn't find anything. Um, and again, the bed was burned the day after his body was discovered, so as far as anything that might have been on the bed, that's gone. Um, if I had a gun held to my head and someone said, pick which one you think out of the three, and those are the only choices I had... Mm, I would probably go with. Okay, so let's just let's just look at this for a second. He did say he was seeing a Polynesian woman who was older than him. The sheriff yeah. said his uh, the sheriff didn't deny that his wife was Polynesian and older than Eric. Uh -huh. And all he had to say in his defense was, "My wife did not mess around with Eric Tamiasu." Blah 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 blah. How does he know that? Yeah. How does he know that? Yeah. So that's the one I, if I had to pick too, I'd probably go with the sheriff. And the main reason why is because of the whole, the, the red flag is the burning the bed thing. And he's the only one with a clear enough motive, you know, a revenge thing, you know, I mean, uh, hood river, whatever the fuck the name of the town is. It seems like a small enough town to where some, you know, a, a small town sheriff might think that he could get away with something like that. And that is a very small town thing to do, like burning the bed. Like I could, could you see like the LAPD or you know, <laughs> someone? No. Yeah, like like having something like even the J Jacksonville. Yeah, even the Jacksonville. JSO, like like our like our sheriff department here. Like you would never, ne like you would never hear about that on the news. Like that would never, that would never fly. Like the uh, the sheriff like having the person burn the that would never happen. Now in a small town where everyone knows everyone's name. Nah, I could see that being more of a possibility, like, hey, you know, the good old boy network, you know, I want to bump off this guy who's been like bumping my wife. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I'd have to go with the sheriff, honestly. I mean, for the burning of the bed and the fact that 
his wife. I mean, how many, po what, what is our Polynesian population in the United States even? Like, what are the, was there a huge Polynesian community in that particular town? I mean, you know, like, it's kind of like one of those things that, that stick out to me, like, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go with the sheriff. So the sheriff yeah, did it. Me up. and Mike have concluded. We've passed <laughs> judgment, and we're 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 per uh, persecuting him, convicting him. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but yeah. And we're totally not going to get sued for so libel or anything. Instead of uh, the I shot the sheriff, <laughs> yeah, it's the sheriff shot. <laughs> I got shot by the sheriff because <laughs> I was fucking his wife on the side. <laughs> All right, well, that's pretty much all I have to say about that one. It's a great case, uh, very, like I said, very Clue-esque, uh, or, you know, just a classic whodunit. I have to say this, though. I would say the editing in this particular segment was not up to par with the earlier segments. You could tell this was a later uh, ep episode or later segment from, you know, the one of the last few seasons of the show. Really? And it had like this kind of just freeze frame stuff, and they were just messing around with the photo editor, and I don't know. Where they kind of just... like juxtaposed all three pictures of the suspects right next to each other, and all that. Yeah, or they just oh, there's slow mo, slow motion in some of the flat, uh, some of the reenactments while they're talking, and it was kind of it reminded me a bit of the the you know the remake. The Ooh, reboot. Don't, don't say that word on this but, podcast. But, but uh, it wasn't as bad, but it was the same kind of kind of flashy editing that wasn't as bad, but it, it was definitely not as traditional and old fashioned in terms of the editing like, you know, the earlier segments were. It didn't have that. It didn't have that dark, looming kind of no. old VHS tape quality the to score, it. The score also was almost non-existent. And yeah, that's true. This one was lacking in music. And the directing on some of the reenactments. It just looked cheaper than the other older shows to me. But but to me, it you know, I know we always talk about how the music on all plays so, so much such a big part in the show and all the elements work together. But to me, it was still just as enjoyable just based off of the story. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, I'm just saying it, it. I didn't really I felt like it could have been better on yeah. that, in that regard. If Robert Stack could do a narration over me taking a dump and I would still find it a hundred <laughs> times more interesting than if that narration wasn't there. So I guess I guess it's just my love for how he narrates and how he does voiceovers. He's a great well, he was a great actor before That's, he ever did Unsolved Mysteries. I'm not saying this is bad. It's just I, I, I wouldn't there are the earlier episodes, you know, the from the first few seasons, I just think are stronger in terms of how they're the cinematography and the editing and so on. Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to be biased, I guess, because, like, I've been watching this Ultimate Collection for almost the past 10 years now, be way before I discovered the treasure trove that I have. So I'm always going to be, I guess, more uh, particular to these any segment that's on the Ultimate Collection because I've just literally seen them so many times yeah. over and over. Speaking of that, we're moving on to another from the Ultimate Collection. This actually Mike brought up a good point earlier that I never really thought about it until he brought it up. This is called The Blob on the UFO um, segments of the Ultimate Collection. Now, uh, with a name like The Blob, you think, well, this fits perfectly on the UFO disc. 
but it, it actually doesn't because there is no mention about unidentified flying objects at all. No, nothing about aliens. I guess this is an alien substance in the sense that alien just means like different or from you know unknown origin. Yeah. But yeah, this this one kind of they kind of shoehorned it into the UFO segments. But I'm glad they did because this is a great segment. Very. Um, yeah, this is one that stood out to me from the first time I saw it. I didn't even, I never even heard of it until I caught it on YouTube back when YouTube still had unsolved mystery segments. Uh, oh, so they, there was a, there, so there was actually a time where YouTube had yes, like full unsolved. They had a lot of segments. Oh my! First started out. I did not know and that. That's why you have a lot of people leave comments saying like, "Man, damn it!" You know, like these unsolved mysteries. You know, I missed. Unsolved Mysteries being on YouTube. Oh, wow. You can tell that when you go to old articles and then link to YouTube clips that, of course, are no longer there because you press play and then this video has been removed by Terry Cosgrove, you know, you know, by John Cosgrove and Terry Moore. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a bad science fiction movie. Blobs that rain down from the sky causing many people in the... Like a sequel, like a third, a second sequel to The Blob, you know, right after Beware of the Blob, there's some, you know... Uh, you know, the reign of the blob or the blob returns or something. Yeah, the name was the, the I mean, I guess this is kind of one of the only things they could have named it, though, because that's that's exactly what these things were. They rained down from the sky in the Pacific Northwest yet again. In, your, in Oakville, in, in, Washington. Where is that at? Do you know where Oakville's at? Like in real I really don't because Washington is kind of new to me because I pretty much just only know Vancouver because you know, that's where I've been living for the past few years. Um, I don't know where Oakville is, but from what I, it sounds like it's somewhere up in maybe I would say, I, I don't know if it's in Eastern Washington, but I don't know exact area, but it's probably someplace in the mountains. It seems like, because there's always, there's not very many people living there. It's raining all the time. It's always cloudy. So it sounds like it's definitely someplace up in, in the mountains somewhere. Now, does it now the whole stereotype of it raining a lot in Washington, would you say that's true for Vancouver as well? Vancouver is closer to what it's like in Portland, so um, it does rain a lot, but usually in the fall and the winter. The spring, it rains a decent amount. We didn't get a lot of rain this, no, well, yeah, we did, but summers are great. You barely get any rain, and uh, springs can be nice because it'll be intermittent, but you'll have nice weather. Um, we rarely ever get uh, days that are over 100 degrees, and sometimes you do, but it's not that doesn't happen very often mm. so it rains but you get used to it i mean there's people who transplanted from california who are complaining it rains raining a bit i mean it's just water i mean if you got the right i used to be like oh i don't like the rain and then i moved to oklahoma with my dad and then i experienced torrential downpours for hours and then i'm like well the rain over here is nowhere near as bad as that so yeah I can deal with it. <laughs> I sadly have nothing else to compare, only Florida, which it is rains there too, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it rains like a motherfucker. It's a this is a, like a what a tropical climate, something like that. Yeah, humid as fuck. Oh probably. yeah, the humidity is just just outrageous. Uh, you always feel whenever you step outside of a like from being inside and you step outside, you literally feel like you're stepping into a mouth. Ugh, <laughs> it's just yeah, Ugh. it's bad. I mean, humid. I, I'll take dry heat any day over humid heat. I don't even know if I know what dry heat feels like, to be honest with you. <laughs> I really don't. People use there was, that. I, I dealt with humidity 
in uh, Oklahoma City, and it was just so bad, and we didn't have any air conditioning. And so I could have a fan on, and I could be butt naked in my birthday <laughs> suit, and still hot. Yeah. Just still sweating, just still miserable. Oh, as we're talking right now, I'm sitting in my boxers in my computer chair, because like just sitting in this chair in my room right now, I, I will get sweaty. So... Yeah, exactly. I, I try to disrobe. So that's a sexy thought for any of you guys listening to podcasts. <laughs> so humid heat, yeah, humid heat is is, is nasty. I think this is, this is getting a little too erotic for most listeners. So let's let's get back to the story here. Um, <laughs> so the the blobs that rain down from the sky it caused many people in the Pacific Northwest to become very ill and small animals and pets to die. On August 7th, 1994, in Oakville, Washington, at uh, 3 a.m. is when this first occur- occurred. Um, rain began to fall, blanketing a 20-square-mile f- uh, area. Uh, in Oakville, it rains about 275 days in the year. So when it started raining on that fateful day, or a fateful night, I should say, it was nothing new until people started realizing that it was not water raining down, but rather gelatinous globs of goo. It came down in torrents and brought with it something of a plague. Um, now, then they <clears throat> they go along and they interview uh, townsfolk, <clears throat> like real, like on the street kind of thing, which was also mm-hmm. kind of new for the show. They didn't do that a whole lot. Uh, so I feel like this is a later segment as well. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my, I'm still getting over sickness here. So I'm got some Hillary Clinton going on here with the clearing of the throat <laughs> and coughing. Um, <clears throat> need a drink? <laughs> no, no, it's just, uh, it's just phlegm working its way down my tra- uh, throat there. Oh, <laughs> you. So it's blobs. Yeah. So I hope no, yeah, the blob. <laughs> Is affecting me on the inside as well. I hope no one's eating while they're listening to this. Um, <laughs> unless you're into that kind of thing, you sicko. Um, so they interviewed townsfolk, and like you know, a lot of people were saying like you know, oh, it was horrible. And that one lady said you, people would get the flu, but it wouldn't be like a normal flu. It'd be like a really hard flu, and instead of yeah. lasting seven to ten days, it lasts more like one to two months. Well, I said seven weeks or two to three months. I mean, it, that that is pretty crazy. But dude, if I had the flu for any long if any longer than two or three weeks i'd probably just i normally don't get sick very often but when i do i get really sick and the last time i remember getting the flu like really bad was when i was with my grandmother and she got this flu and we don't we don't even know where it came from and it was so bad that my our cats wanted nothing to do with us like the cats could sense that we were like really sick and the cats were like oh no oh hell no yeah, because cats are usually just so friendly and just come right up to you. That's bizarre that they didn't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. That, was that sick. That was me sick. trying to make a joke, by the way. Cats aren't very friendly. Well, some are. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, my cat, Emily, was very friendly, and she didn't want anything to do with me when I was super sick. That's actually kind of a yeah. that's kind of an adorable name for a cat, Emily. Yeah. Yeah, she's long gone, but, you know. Oh. Yeah. Very special cat. <laughs> so uh, a local policeman was the first guy who discovered this this kind of gooey. The first guy who reported it. You know, he was driving. Um, you know, Officer uh, David Lacey. There you go. Um, he was the first to report the precipitation. It was three a.m. when the downpour began. Um, he's he was with his uh, civilian friend in the in the squad car, and they were just driving down the road, and all of a sudden, they start, they saw this rain on their windshield, and they turned the wipers on, and it just started smearing. 
instead of like going off, like sliding off the windshield, it started smearing almost to the point that they couldn't see. And so he thought, this isn't right. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Where is this coming from? Who's doing this? Like, what's this, doing this? Yeah, the segment did a great job, uh, re, you know, with uh, recreating the the blob. Yeah, you know, the goo yeah. down and the blob all over the the goo all over the windshield. I mean, this is just such a this is one of the most memorable segments to me because it's so it's even more out there than because it's one of a kind. There isn't another sort of story like this. No. I mean, there's all alien abduction stories and there's UFO stories and sightings and ghosts and bizarre murders and Bigfoot stuff and so on. But there's nothing else like this. It's just a very strange and and honestly kind of terrifying uh, story because it's it's true and then you have the other connotations with it, which are very disturbing. Um, but yeah, they did a good job. It's just, it's just, can you imagine driving down the road, you know, in the like a in the on the freeway or something, and there's just this downpour of slimy rain that just that'd be freaky. That'd be you very can't freaky. see. I mean. That's an accident waiting to happen. It's it's thankfully that happened at night, <laughs> but even then, that's bad. I mean, because you know, accident could still happen. It's just there wasn't that many people. Can you imagine that happened during rush hour, like on a busy anytime, road. Any time, any time that something comes from the sky that's not water, um, I'm freaking out. You know, whether it's well, I'm freaking out because I'm thinking of the blob from 1988, where you know, scream now while you can still breathe, and this thing comes out of a meteor and eats you and dissolves you alive. Yeah, it covers you up, and then it, it, it's it's got this like acidic substance. It's an acidic substance, so it pretty much just immolates you. Oh, alive. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen that one. <laughs> it sounds pretty. It's actually, it's actually a really good remake. I thought it was. I thought it was a lot better than the original '50s movie. Well, uh, that, that's. I mean, the the practical effects, I'm sure, were leaps and bounds above the '90s. Oh yeah, the effects by K and B were just fantastic. Speaking of effects, movie. I mean, don't you agree that like this could have looked really bad, like the blob stuff? Oh, absolutely, it could have looked a lot worse than it did. Yeah. Absolutely. This could have looked really corny. It could have looked really cartoony or cheesy or, or whatever. But they they made it look re- very yeah, realistic. Or late, or you know, mid '90s CG blocks. Oh, thank God they didn't go. <laughs> they, they were smart enough to know when when not to use uh, that, the new form of uh, CG that was coming out back then. Well, they've been using that for like the UFOs and stuff like that. And they so. almost exclusively used it for UFOs and ghosts, obviously apparition yeah. kind of stuff. But no, I don't even think no, because that's I think to me doing he's a little bit of the lights and stuff were CG. The ghosting effect isn't oh. isn't isn't CG. That's just more of a just like no. Stick. I was talking about like the the western. You know the one we're talking about with the hotel. Yeah, the western hotel when the lights are flying around. Like oh yeah, true, true. So anyway, going back to the story here, the officer pulled off to a gas station and uh, to clean his windshield, and he put gloves on, thinking with his head there. Um, the substance was mushy, much like jello in your hands. You could squish it through your fingers. Um, then uh, that later on, uh, the next day there, local resident Dottie Hearn was equally baffled. Uh, by the time she stepped out that morning, the storm had ended, but the uh, globs were everywhere. 
she thought it was hail, but then when she actually handled it, it was like a gelatinous material. By mid-afternoon, Officer Lacey had taken very ill. He felt like he couldn't breathe, and whatever the substance was, he felt like it just made him violently sick, sicker than he'd ever been before, according to him. To him, it, you know, because it, it was so much, he was so sick to the point where it just totally shut him down. Yeah. Which that doesn't happen very often to most people. When that happens, that's you're you're really ill. And to be and to honestly to be affected by it so quickly, that's another yeah. very weird. Because like with the flu, you don't might not get the symptoms until you know the net the you know the night of or something. You know, a night later, a day later type deal. You know, I always hate that because it's like you you're fine. And then, like, in the middle of the night, you feel like shit. Yeah. You're like, where the fuck did this come from? Yeah, when your body's supposedly healing itself and restoring itself, that's when you get, that's when, like, you, you it hits you full on. Yeah. <laughs> so across town, Dottie, well, she wasn't faring much better herself. She was starting to feel dizzy, and it started getting increasingly worse. Um, she became increasingly nauseated. Then one hour later, her daughter and son found her sprawled out on the bathroom floor, pale, drenched in sweat, extreme vertigo. That had to be a very scary sight. Yeah, oh yeah. See. Yeah, absolutely. Um, her vision was blurring. Dottie spent three days in the hospital, and they just linked it to a severe inner ear infection. Yeah, uh, uh, Dottie's daughter, Sunny. She said, uh, you know, about her mom, she said she was cold, drenched with perspiration. I mean, that that's really bad. She, she says, my mom had been vomiting. She had extreme vertigo. She complained that she had difficulty with her vision, and her vision was blurry. So her daughter was much smarter than probably a lot of people would have been. She actually grabbed a sample of the substance and took it to the hospital thinking that maybe this was the cause of, of why she had the severe inner ear infection because that's what the the doctors diagnosed her with. Right. So they're looking at well, you know, this just came on so fast, maybe this this weird shit outside that's like papered the town with goo. Um, maybe it's like this, mucus, like it, God sneezed or some shit and just sneezed all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the lab tech found the first clue um, when the substance was analyzed. It contained human white blood cells. But mm. what it was and why it fell from the sky could not be determined. Then the su uh, sample was forwarded to the Washington State Department of Health. Uh, they found that this was a very uniform structure. Well, it was very uniform, but it had no structure, uh, not, not a structure that could be seen visibly. They attempted to isolate bacteria, and they found that it was teeming with two different species of bacteria, one of which makes its home in the human digestive system. And as Robert Stack puts, uh, well, not, not yet, he doesn't say that. So the first theory was that it was human waste from an airliner. Now, that would make sense if, if it contains bacteria from the human or, digestive or system. White, or, you know, white blood cells yeah so but th they thought it was from an airliner which would make sense that you know maybe they're dumping their shit literally on a town <laughs> and that would make people like, sick like who who cares about this small town yeah uh was it oakville just, never yeah. heard of it more like shitville <laughs> bombs away motherfucker <laughs> but that was ruled out because the faa has very strict regulations that human wasted dyed blue and this substance was a crystal clear color. So like crystal Pepsi clear. Yes, which I've had recently. It was pretty good. 
Uh, it was just a mind fuck that it was clear instead of dark colored. Um, blobs rained down in Oakville six times over a three week period. That's the one that really makes me like, oh, whoa, it wasn't just once. Right. It was six different times. The shit was chilling up in the sky or something. You know, it was just up there, like waiting to fall. Very weird. Dozens took ill from this. Many dogs and cats died, which, you know, that's a lot of people because, oh, that's just a side note. But man, that's, you know, your fucking dog dies from that. That'd be fucking horrible. That's messed up. Yeah. So nearly a year after Dottie Hearn's illness, she took a sample of the blob that she had kept in her freezer, which I think is kind of kind of cool crazy but kind of crazy crazy because it could contaminate right the freezer i mean yeah you don't know what it is and i mean that's like that's like uh like excavating like something from king tut's tomb and like keeping it in your refrigerator you don't know what kind of like micro bacterial like going to chernobyl or whatever and and keeping yeah just taking some dirt and putting it in your (laughs) fucking planter and then eating the tomatoes that it grows yeah, not a very smart idea, but that's what she did. She um, she took it and she she sent it to a private research lab. They they found out that these blobs had a eukaryotic cell, which is a cell that has a definable nucleus and can be found in animals. And that's when tra- uh, Robert Stack gives a brilliant line: "Translation: The goo was alive, but how did it make <laughs> its way into the clouds?" <laughs> it's like translation: The goo was alive. But where did it come from? They had to, they had to give Robert Stack a little bit exactly. of that that 90s some 90s he, lines, you know. He trans- probably loved he probably loved saying that. Oh too. yeah, probably. I mean, he loved it so much he says it again in this segment. Um so perhaps uh, inevitably the finger of suspicion was then pointed at the military. Skeptics, here comes skeptic explanation or just a really ridiculous explanation here. <laughs> yeah, uh, hold on, uh, get, getting ready here. Um, so, so this is one of the explanations that was given. <laughs> That's so corny. Um, so the mili- Well, this, the, this explanation is corny. Yeah, very true. The military was conducting live bombing runs over the sea, and they... They, they said perhaps they bombed a school of jellyfish. And then uh, the daughter of Dottie was saying, okay, so basically the jellyfish were thrown up into the air. They floated 50 miles inland and over a period of three weeks fell six times in August 1994. I find that somewhat preposterous. And then the other lady was saying if, if that had also, you know, been the case, it would have smelled to high heaven over exactly. there. Exactly. Which it would have. It's dead animal carcass. And it's jellyfish in particular. There goes a jellyfish. There I mean, goes a cuttlefish. Sorry. I mean, jellyfish in particular are like really... Was that a B-52 song that, or something? That was a B-52's reference, yes. <laughs> Rock Lobster. Yeah. Like the last three minutes of the song, they like name off all these sea creatures and like the women yeah. singers make Rock these... Rock Lobster! Yeah. There goes a cuttlefish! It's, it's really weird, but it's cool. Um, so, yeah, that obviously, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a cool, I mean, I don't know cool if the word is the word. It's kind of a neat thought, I guess, that, okay, they bombed the jellyfish, and that's why it's clear and making people that sick. That just doesn't make any sense that it went sense. up in the air for 50 miles. In, it floated 50 miles inland into the air and then fell six times over a period of three weeks. I, I don't find that just somewhat preposterous. I find that completely preposterous. The military confirmed the bombings, but they deny any knowledge of the blob. Big fucking surprise. Um, 
every day. But then they they go back to the man on the this street. This is the one where it gets really disturbing. Yeah, they go back to the kind of the man on the street thing. They go and they got the they're interviewing the citizens of Oakville and they're saying every day bomb uh, bombers, helicopters, all in all black in color, were flying around all the time during the time of these the blobs raining down. Uh, uh, there was a lot of testing being done in that area. Um, there was a lot they're of saying testing has been done before. It sounds like these sounds folk were like, oh, this is just normal. Like, there's a lot of you know, a lot, they let off all, things in the air all the time here. There's testing done all over the place. There's a lot of places you can't go into because of the testing. Yeah, or because maybe the military is actually in the town and they can't go into these places because the military is there. So they're saying maybe some of the citizens were suggesting maybe it's an experiment to see how people react if we get them just a little sick, you know, but there are regulations against that. It's a biological bomb. Yeah. Yeah. So then Robert Stack cuts in again, translation, chemical warfare. (laughs) I love that shit. (laughs) They used two, two Robert Stack. They made him say translation comma. And then, you know, insert quote, they made him say it twice in one segment. I think that's great. Um, so, so we got some definitely have some stranger things going on here in this uh, small town of Oakville. I I don't get it. Is that some kind of popular <laughs> show, or is that some kind well, of Netflix exclusive? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, you should watch that show. By the way, people. Um, just yeah, I mean it's the same sort of, like a small town. There's some government shit going on. Something happens. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it was some testing of some kind. Yeah, for sure. Whether it was United States government or some other government, I don't know what it was. I would probably say it's more the United States government. And and just because it's against the RAA, I mean, I mean that doesn't mean anything. They probably test a bunch of stuff on small town, unsuspecting towns. Well, I'm sure it's against regulations to put um, chemical substances on doorknobs and steering wheels for people who won't shut up about UFOs and get and give them leukemia. I'm sure that would be against some regulation too, but it still gets done. Yeah. As as was you know reported in the uh, Withville, Kentucky UFO case with the if you're to believe what the guy on the phone said when he you know called the DJ threatening him you know saying the mm-hmm. government they'll get you any way they can they'll you know put it on your doorknob they'll put on not trying to incite paranoia in anybody out there but uh, you know the government does shit like this a lot of people thought that uh, Bob Marley uh, the the reggae singer was given cancer by the government because he was being too much of a vo- uh, vo- voice of opposition towards a lot of the uh, things that had to do with government at the time. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's those conspiracy theorists out there. Uh, I mean, this isn't a conspiracy. This actually happened. A substance did rain down. And, I mean, it, it, again, I got to go to the witnesses. It was people who, small town, wanted no fame or fortune, you know, just kind of reporting what they, thought, what they saw and what happened. Unfortunately, though, all the samples are gone, making further study impossible. So, you know... Who knows if, if if one of the samples had survived to modern day, maybe we could find out more information about it. But given the the yeah. you know technology and the scientific you know kind of stuff going on at the time, I mean, also the Washington Department of Health says it can find no record of what happened to the samples it received. Oh wow, no, that's that's not a surprise. Just like Danny Castellaro and his papers. 
Yeah, sorry I keep referencing other cases, people, if you're new to this uh, episode, but uh, you go back and listen to all the other episodes, you'll you'll get cop speed pretty quickly. Unless I decide to pull a random segment out of my ass that we haven't even talked about, then you're fucked. But, you know, this is a free podcast, and so what do you want from me? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's scary, the idea of something like that just coming out of the sky, and it's gelatinous. I mean, knowing me... I would probably play with the stuff. I'd probably like rub it in my hands, and be like, oh my "Wow, God. like wow, this is neat." And I'd probably like taste it to see if it had any flavor, like because I do. Oh, stupid, great! I do stupid shit. Taste like that. it, then then I wouldn't be talking to you right yeah, now. Yeah, I'd probably be dead. Sure. <laughs> probably be dead. But uh, yeah, so that's that one. That's the blob. Um, I thought you'd be smarter than that. Not as a kid, because you're all paranoid about stuff after watching Unsolved Mysteries. That's why I thought you would be smarter than that and not all this weird substance. It wouldn't be like playing around. No, Mike, I'm paranoid of ghosts and UFOs. Okay, when it comes to like actual threats, like guns and strangers and tasting globs from the sky, that I'll do. It's stuff like UFOs and ghosts (laughs) that I'm I'm truly cautious. The globs from the sky could have came from a UFO. Well, if I saw it come from UFO, I wouldn't taste it, but. (laughs) <laughs> until i saw it i would just assume it's like the new clear you, the, you got your jello craving yeah it's a new jello campaign to like give people a, a t- taste of their new clear jello so maybe that that's what it would have been as a you know i would have thought as a kid and maybe yeah. as an adult moving on our next segment is two mary murders this one was also a request uh but again one that i also want to talk about at some point um this one for me personally, it is kind of interesting, but at the same time, I, I just, I don't know. There's other bizarre murder cases I thought were more, you know, fascinating to me, but, you know. There's a few things that I really wanted to mention on this, and that was kind of it. Um, and I'll get to those. Um, there's been, there's one particular. Um, the person I hate the most in the history of Unsolved Mysteries is in this segment. And uh, so that's kind of one of the reasons I want to talk okay. about it. Uh, Houston, Texas. Very early one October morning, Jay Morris um, was walking his wife to her car for her to go to work. Mary Morris was a 48-year-old successful bank loan officer. Later, though, Jay became concerned because she wasn't answering her phone. So Jay called Mary's supervisor and found out that she wasn't at work. And then he knew something was wrong because she never missed work. Meanwhile, a passerby on some four-wheeler many miles away uh, discovered a smoldering car with a burned body inside, seared beyond recognition. By that time, Jay started to think the worst. So he, uh, when he heard about the burned car, he picked up his stepdaughter, Jeannie uh, Blaylock, I believe, or Marilyn Blaylock or something, and uh, they checked out the car. Uh, when they drove to the scene, police were there, and they told them to turn around and go home, which is what police Maryland. always do. Maryland. Okay. Maryland Blaylock. Maryland Blaylock. I like that last name, Blaylock. Kinda, it's kind of fun to say. Um, so the police told him to go away from the smoldering car or whatever. He was still, he's thinking he, it wasn't her, though. You know, he saw the car, and even though she was missing, he's like, yeah, there's no way that this is, this is my wife, you know. I, understandable, you're in that kind of denial part. You don't want to think the worst. Um. After a few hours, though, detectives delivered the bad news. It was Mary in the car. The crime was so brutal that police did not suspect that it was robbery. Um, But soon, every other avenue turned into a dead end. Quote, there was no reason for it. She was a good person. You know, that's what her stepdaughter, Marilyn, had to say. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, they, they would ask, you know, gambling, drugs, affairs, and it was all no, 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 no. She didn't do any of that stuff. She didn't even drink. She didn't do any of that. So a few days after that case, uh, the strange twist happened. Um, three days later, not far from where the first Mary's body was found, a second body was found, too. She was also killed in her car, and her name was also Mary Morris. The two Marys also bore a certain resemblance, both physically and kind of like... It sounds like somebody was a fan of the Terminator. <laughs> you know where the Terminator goes around, looks for Sarah Connor? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the different Sarah Connors. For all these different Sarah Connors, so... Are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> so after- Are you Mary Morris? <laughs> Mary Morris. Uh, police had to piece together the evidence of the second murder to tra- try to find a possible link to the first murder. M- murder, murder, God, get it. Murder, <laughs> and murder, I tell you, is a murder. Uh, <laughs> Mary McGinnis Morris, the second Mary that was Roger Rabbit made a cameo here yeah. on our podcast. <laughs> Mary McGinnis Morris, uh, the second Mary that was murdered, was 39 years old, and like Mary Lou Mor- uh, Morris, the first one uh, who was murdered, uh, she was also a successful professional with a sunny disposition. Oh, well, I hate women with sunny dispositions. I'm going to kill them, and especially ones that are named Mary. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a weird, that's kind of a weird M.O. Mr. T? <laughs> that was a combination of Mr. T and uh, like bad Yosemite Sam. This is bad impersonation hour, okay? Just, just it's a, it's a Mucinex. I don't know. Um, I, pity, I pity Mary Morris. I pity, Mary I, pity, I pity you if your name is Mary Morris. <laughs> so her sister, uh, Mary of uh, Mary McGinnis Morris, her sister was quoted by saying, "Mary was always happy. She was like an angel." So obviously, the second Mary was a saint as well. Mary was a nurse practitioner. She was dedicated and excelled at her job. You know, it was un- it was not very uncommon to see her working 14-hour days and then be- get called in and come in the next day and do it all over again. Mary got along with her staff, but according to her staff, one new employee, a male nurse, was a poor fit right from the start. The relationship quickly went from bad to worse. Mary increasingly became nervous and distraught. According to her friend Lori, quote, she told me she was afraid of this person. I asked do you really think he could hurt you? And she said, yes, and way worse. The, the actor who played this guy. He, <laughs> God, he he was the perfect, like, menacing white dude. Like, just... Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't think menacing. I just thought it was kind of just stalkerish schlub of a man. Yeah, schlub is a perfect sir. descriptor. Like, like a fatter Robin Williams. Like a balding, fatter Robin Williams is what he kind of reminded me of. Like, if Robin Williams was, like, some loser crazy stalker all i know is at that time in hollywood in the casting agency that particular actor had the lock on any pedophile creep stalker pervert that was needed in any movie or show that guy had a lot of work that year <laughs> yeah um did. but yeah this guy you know she was saying you know i feel like he could hurt me and do way worse now that's something someone that's something people normally don't say no. I mean, have you ever talked to anybody in your life where they, I mean, it's one thing to be kind of afraid of somebody or concerned. I've had death threats for on YouTube, but it's just very bullshit. You know, people being fucking dumb. Yeah. You know, but it, the internet is just the, you know, the anonymity, you know, enables people to say stupid shit that they never even remotely consider think, thinking about saying in public. 
or in front of your face. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm talking like real life. Like I have never, I couldn't imagine talking to somebody I know and them going, oh, I feel like he could hurt me and way worse. I'd be like, dude, if you feel like that, you need to call the authorities. Exactly. Yeah, I, I haven't felt like that either. So a few, uh, a few days later, Mary went to her office to pick up some papers and made a disturbing discovery. She found things out of place on her desk. The pictures were turned to face the wrong direction. And then on the, the co-worker's desk, it said the words, death to her. Yeah, which and of she, course, she, she assumed it was her, which makes sense. I yeah. Mean, who else would it be? And apparently this guy was trying to discredit her like multiple times and eventually was fired. So. Which, you know, probably made him harbor even more resentment towards this person, which this guy, you know. Prime suspect number one to me is this guy. Yeah. I, I mean, there there's actually quite a few shows I've seen, especially like back when we had cable and I'd watch Investigation Discovery, where there's these medical like, you know, kind of like murder kind of things. And it seems like in the medical field, there was a lot of cases where like there'd be this co-worker that would get obsessed with one of the females uh, who also worked there and would, you know, just start doing this crazy shit. So I don't know if there's something about the medical field that makes people snap because of the workload or something like that. But this is definitely um, precedented uh, before this happened. Um, so now I want to get into my most hated person on Unsolved Mysteries. It's her fucking husband, Mary yeah. McGinnis Morris's husband. Yeah. This round faced fucking dumb, Mike Morris, yeah. dumb cunt douchebag. I mean, he's just got the face that you want to slap. You just want to slap his stupid face and he's so aloof and he's so just good old boy. He got this little southern accent going on, and he just—I just don't know, don't know what happened. I just, I, 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 I didn't know if the meds could. Yeah, you know, we'll get into all the shit that he says. But I <laughs> fucking hate this guy. I don't know why. I just—I don't hate him as much as you. I mean, if I, you've ever seen somebody—I don't know, man. If you've ever seen somebody where you just dislike them because of their face, it's like I don't like your face, I, motherfucker. I, I did. I, I didn't feel that way about this guy. I did. I did for I some reason. I felt that way about the creeper schlub of. Uh, you know, he didn't uh, bother me as much as this husband guy did. <laughs> I do. I don't know. Man. I might have some some deep down resentment towards like Southern culture like or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Because like, I grew like up here. Something. So yeah, there might be some deep seated hatred I have towards like people like this guy because he reminds me of every baseball coach like ever I've ever had in my life or every like basketball yeah. coach. Just some fat good old boy who just you know <laughs> i'm just you ain't hurting nobody more of a texas accent, texan accent well they're all good old boys to me it's all the bible belt as far as i'm concerned that's where i live mike gotta get used to it <laughs> i can smell a pig from a mile away oh uh, uh, i hate it i'm shuddering do they do the the pig call contest? You know? Say we. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they do. I stay the fuck away from all these all those people down here. There's there's actually this bar right down the road from my house called the Roost, and uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a watering hole for all the good old boys. Ain't doing no one harm, just hanging out. And I had to I had to fill in. My friend uh, who's a DJ uh, had me fill in there one yeah. time. 
And oh my god, it was it was it was horrible. It was asking you to do the Garth Brooks song all the time, right? Oh, they they wanted to hear nothing but country, and it was just the most like I got friends in low places. Well, that was that was a must. I mean, that was a must. That's a must anywhere though down here. Even if you're not a good old boy, you still it's get crazy. Like I thought, Jack- Jacksonville's not what I would consider a hick town. So that's I guess. That's Dude, there are certain parts that aren't, but like for the most part, it is. Like I when I did that Sweet Sixteen birthday party, the uh, the the grand it was at the grandfather's house, and he was a judge, and he lived in this mansion. And even still, with like this living in this mansion with like all this fanciness around him, he still had either like his like I guess his son who was you know a, of adult age because like you know the grandfather was older. His son like as they're walking down this mansion, he goes to me, "Hey, you gonna play any country?" I'm like, "Fuck off, dude! I can't escape this shit anywhere. I can't even escape this in some nice like mansiony kind of invite." I still got good old boys. Yeah, we might be rich, but we still like to listen to country songs. But hey, we're getting so off topic here. I'm just gonna cut it's, myself it's, off. It's surprising though. It's surprising to me. Uh, it's dude. I I could just go on about that, but I'm not going. I guess there's to. a bunch of transplants from Kentucky or Alabama or something over there. No, they're they're all homegrown. Home just from Jacksonville my whole life. Just live here and from Georgia. Some people from Georgia and then some people from Palatka. That's Georgia. Uli. Yeah. Um, any fucking hoozles. Um, so they show the husband. I don't like him. Um, (laughs) I don't like your face. (laughs) I don't like your face, buddy. And he was saying that Mary, his wife, asked if he could provide a gun. Well, I got to do it in his accent every time I quote him. He asked if if I could provide a gun for her protection, and she asked me to place the gun under her car seat, which I did. Mary met with her friend Lori to um, give her an allergy shot. This is back up at the clinic. They chit-chatted for a bit, kind of like me and Mike do where we annoy everybody. And um, she was only going to stay there for a couple hours. That's what she was telling Lori because, you know, Lori was concerned with the, you know, co-worker and everything. And, um, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay for a couple hours. Then... Uh, Lori received an alarming call from Mary uh, a little while later, and she said that she saw someone in the drugstore that gave her the creeps. Now, she didn't say who. She just said someone. Um, wasn't even the co-worker. That's what makes it even more mysterious. That yeah, kind of ties exactly. in with the whole hitman theory that's coming up here. Um, and she said, I'm just going to run across the bridge and turn my computer off and, and uh, you know, sign out of the building and, you know, go home. Police aren't sure what happened after that, but 12 minutes later, after saying goodbye to Lori, Mary made a frantic phone call to 911. Quote, We're not releasing the content of that tape at this time. It covers the attack that happened to Mary, and anybody that's ever heard this tape has just had their blood chilled listening to it. It's a very chilling, disturbing call. Now, this is, a, this is an investigator who's saying this. He's saying... <laughs> he's not some, like private citizen he's like this is a guy who works you know and sees this stuff all the time and yeah. he's saying that we're not releasing the content that must of the be tape. one really fucked up phone call <laughs> yeah to say the least kind of makes me want to hear it but i don't i really don't <laughs> well actually no i don't especially knowing that it's real and not a movie uh yeah, yeah. i take that back i don't want to hear it i got enough <laughs> shit in my head already um the details of Although Mary... sometimes Unsolved Mysteries did play calls like that. Right, well, that's what makes it so much weirder that they didn't do it this time. Well, not weirder, but so much, you know, that you know it must have been fucked up that they normally do play that stuff, and this time they didn't. 
So the details of Mary's abduction are unclear. However, the medical examiner's report revealed that she was visual, uh, viciously beaten and shot in the head. And visually beaten because the guy looked at her. Well, off. yeah. So, I mean, I, technically I didn't mess up in what I said there. Um, the investigation first led to the co-worker, obviously at the clinic. He allegedly uh, had left on bad terms. Uh, he left after several failed attempts to discredit Mary, as you were saying earlier. Uh, he remains a suspect. Authorities had also had questions for Fatty Mc fucking southern face mike morris uh he said he was at the movies with his daughter at the time detectives had concerns about his alibi according to police morris stonewalled the investigation through his own actions and not allowing his daughter to be questioned Qua yeah the police are like you know mike refused to meet that with them without meet with them without an attorney and he's like witnesses don't need attorneys suspects generally have attorneys right which is true but then according to mike uh, I was just following the advice of uh, several friends. Uh, several of these people suggested that I take an attorney with me. Not that I have anything to hide, but someone uh, that would be with me that would be familiar with the procedures. But investigators also point to his refusal to take a polygraph test. Again, he has a response to that. I was on anti-anxiety and antidepressants at the time. I was unsure that this polygraph examination could adequately compensate for those conditions. First off, wouldn't you? Couldn't, isn't there some way to do research to figure out what the effects of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications might have? Oh, oh, oh! This is before the internet, so. Well, that I mean, also, hard. again, if you don't have anything, that probably be harder. If you have nothing to hide, then why are you so nervous? You know. Yeah. Friends also say Mike and Mary were having marital problems at the time. When Mike learned that Mary might have been having an affair with a family friend, Mike confronted the two head on. They both looked at me in the eye and told me that there had been nothing inappropriate in their relationship, and, and I, I didn't see any betrayal in their eyes. Which to me sounds like a Conway Twitty song. I didn't see betrayal in their eyes. I just... <laughs> Ah! he's not like can't kill right now <laughs> so then then the motive uh that that they went to next was follow the money uh, a life insurance policy that would have paid out seven hundred thousand dollars to mike because he was the beneficiary uh in the event of mary's murder uh or death i should say not murder uh was that was found out by police um Police this consider is the other thing. This is the other thing that really stands out to me in this particular case, the phone call. Yeah, police uh, consider the most curious part of the uh, Mike's guilt was the call he made to Mary's cell phone uh, around the time police believe she was murdered. There was after she was murdered, actually. I think was it after? I wrote that it was after, but I'm wondering if it was before. Because they, they wouldn't, here's the actual thing. The most curious evidence against Mike Morris was a call he made to Mary's cell phone two hours after Mary had made her desperate call to 911. Okay, so I got it, I got it from here. That's, a, that's all I needed. Um, yeah. Yeah, so a uh, phone call made right after the attack. Now, that phone call was, well, not right after the attack, two hours after the attack. The phone call was made by Mike Morris, fatty McStupid face. The phone call lasted a total of four minutes. Now, this was by all intents and purposes a completed phone call as far as the phone company yeah. was, was concerned. What you have to wonder is, according to the one of the investigators, what did that phone call either set in motion 
or end. Now, quoting, and then, quoting know, Mike Morris, yeah, he's yeah, you can go Fatty ahead. McStupid Face. <laughs> Normally, the cellular service would have kicked in and said the party you were calling was unavailable. I didn't get that. I don't know why. As long as the phone was ringing and I thought there was a possibility she'd answer, I, I let it ring. Now, police don't accept that because it showed up on the phone bill. Question he's is... Like, yeah, he's like, I don't accept that Mike made this phone call and the phone rang for four minutes. It's not possible. The question is, who answered the phone on the other end? That's what the big question is. Right. And why did they talk about... What did they talk about for four minutes? And then Fatty McStupid Face, I had absolutely nothing to do with the arrangement of Mary's murder. It's, it's a hurtful insinuation. Despite Mike's denial, police have not eliminated him as a suspect, nor should yeah. they. Yeah, Mike was all like, it's absolutely untrue. Uh, one of the theories, one of the, uh, theories is speculated that an inept contract killer botched the hit meant for the second Mary Morris and that's, killed the... That's honestly what I think happened. That's, dude, that's pretty clear. That's, that's what exactly happened. That's exactly what happened. That's what's the thing. I, I mean, it's interesting, the stuff with Fatty McStupid Face and the phone call. And, you know, the whole uh, novelty, the fact that, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but, you know, the whole thing where it's like two Marys were murdered or, or hit at the same time. But that's as far as it goes when it comes to as interesting as this case is for me. Um, because I think it's just open and shut. I, I don't think there's anything unsolved here. The only thing unsolved is we haven't found the hitman. Well, right, and, you know, it goes further into that by saying... Um... It's, it was bolstered by the fact that the wedding ring of the first Mary Morris was missing, and, and that's usually an indicator to whoever hired the killer that the job has been done successfully. They give him the wedding ring or some yeah. kind of personal effect. That, they were both found in a car. Yeah. The, all the detectives have to say about that is that, well, the remoteness of the location, destroying of the evidence, yeah, that, that does speak to a contract killing, but with the background of the victim, it doesn't seem likely, and there's no evidence that supports that. Uh, how? I don't, I don't buy that. How is there no evidence that... And, and then they say things like, well, you know, her, his backstory, you know, the people, you know, the first Mary, like there wasn't anybody that they know of that would want her dead. Well, of course, if it's a mistaken hit, there is no motive. Motive, it's just a mistake. Right, and and they said there's no evidence to support that it, that it was a mistaken hit, but they just got done telling us that it was a fucking life insurance policy that was seven almost a million dollars that would have gotten paid out to the husband in the case in the event that the the, the wife died. And well, with Mike Morris, not with the other. Right, with the with the yeah. second Morris hu husband or whatever. And then on top of that, there was uh, you know talk that maybe she was having an affair and this that and the other. So it was like you know he's pissed off at his wife or has secret resentments he's taken antidepressants anti-anxieties he's obviously emotionally unstable to some extent and uh he knows he's gonna get 700k if he bumps her off or if someone else does it so i mean yeah it is an uh, it isn't in my opinion an open and shut case still an interesting case nonetheless still a very enjoyable yeah the first mary watch. morris is uh first uh her uh her friend, you know, she says this, she says it best. She's like, I can't help but think that they have to be related. I can't imagine that two women with the same name would be murdered within three days of each other, both found in their cars, and not have that be related. 
Yeah, detectives continued their search, but came up empty to link the two murders together. They were they they kept wanting to link them together, but then after you know nearly three hundred homicides in Harris County that year, the murders were just seen as a bizarre coincidence. The family believes that's bullshit, though, as you mentioned. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's an, it's it's a good case. It's definitely a good watch. It's just there's all these the other bizarre murders. Like it's just something there's extra something extra with those that just. You know, it just stuck with me a bit more. This one, I just, because it was just like, I don't know who did it. Like, I've, I haven't found the guy. Well, I mean. And if Don Dixon ha- uh, gave off, um, you know, culpability in the first segment. And well, the sheriff did to me. And the sheriff, yeah. gave, you know, gave off culpability in the first segment. And the guy who said he didn't murder his uh, son and then it found, found, you know, co- like come to find out he did murder his son. If all those yeah. guys, you know, kind of vaguely gave off like yeah. they were guilty. This guy reeks of guilt, in my opinion. Um, not only the circumstances surrounding her death as far as the insurance and the uh, alleged affair but yeah. just also in how he's so worried about everything. He's worried about taking the polygraph. He's worried about, you know, talking to the police just as a witness. So he takes a fucking attorney with him. I mean, it just... I could, I could kind of see... I mean, there's been cases where people have been wrongfully imprisoned because they don't have an attorney present. Yeah. And, you know, so I can kind of see why you'd want an attorney. But it... it I don't, I don't see him reeking of guilt to me. I just see him as kind of just being a, you know, kind of a simpleton type guy who just doesn't really have much of a filter. It seems like maybe and just says things the way that, you know, he says like it is. Maybe he just reeks in general like stench, like stench wise, <laughs> like he just smells. Like, I don't hate, I don't hate this guy. Nearly like Depew, Josh does, but you know it's. <laughs> It's funny though. It's funny. I I don't know. I just I don't like him. I don't like his face. He's got a very like I said. He's got a very slappable face. He's got a face you just want. You, it just looks like it would feel good to just slap his face very hard. <laughs> <laughs> like his cheeks kind of like puff out like unusually. You got uh, a problem, man. Really, there's some deep suited issues, <laughs> you know, embedded in your brain or something from some like. Nah, some nah, Mike, you're just now finding this out? Come on, man. I thought you were quicker del- than that. Some kind of deliverance style, you know, <laughs> moment in your, your childhood or whatever. I don't guy. know. I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, looks it, like it, Mike, you know, looks like this Mike Morris guy, you know, made you. Oh, sweet. oh, okay. So, so because he's <laughs> named Mike, he can't do anything wrong. All Mikes are just above oh, reproach. No. That's what it all boils down to. Oh, you're no. you're you're in the the fucking mic club over there. Absolutely not. No. Uh huh. <laughs> I see. Be I see through your very thinly veiled what attempts. Mike said, "Like, there's a lot of people in unsolved mysteries are like fucking murderers and like a guy. Was it this Mike? This there's a guy named Mike who like went in and like didn't he like kidnap his girlfriend or something and then kept her hostage or something and shot her." friend in a car so no there's a lot there's plenty of mics out there that are fucking scumbags and assholes i just don't there's not enough here with this character to me i mean even if i didn't like him i wouldn't be like oh yeah he's he reeks of guilt but hey that's just my opinion well i just think with the insurance policy of 7k 700k something definitely look into 
I can see why he's a suspect, but I, I don't necessarily say, okay, yeah, he's... he's well, I'm not saying he's the trigger man. I, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised, though, if he did call the hit man and called in the hit. The yeah. phone call is the thing that really puzzles me the most. It's not his statements or the way he looks. It's the phone call. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It reeks of guilt. Well, to me, it's just... I, I, what's that phone call? That's the thing that really... I'd say if I had to pick who is the number one suspect in this case, it probably would be him. My next thing is, like, what 39-year-old woman has a life insurance policy on them for almost a million dollars unless, yeah. like, they're incredibly ill, maybe? Or they think they're going to be worse off or they're going to die in the future? Or maybe she put on the insurance policy because she was worried that that creepy guy was going to kill her or something. Uh, maybe. I don't know. That's that's a really high amount of life insurance. It is. But yeah, it's the phone call thing. What? I mean... Now, back that? in the day, like, truth be told... Was there a glitch? Is it is it a glitch in the system? I mean, if it was a glitch in the system, okay, but what... You know. There have been times when I was younger and I would call my friends from school on their house phone and sometimes the machine just wouldn't kick in and it the phone would just ring and ring and ring and ring. Four minutes? I would have hung up after a certain amount of time. Yeah, but if you're some simpleton like that guy, you know, he's a dooper doo what we maybe she'll answer. Good old boy ain't doing no harm. I t- <laughs> Four minutes? I just... I'm like the investigator. I'm like, I don't know if I buy that. I'm, yeah, no. That I look. I I'm telling you, I think he's guilty. But you know, I'm just saying. I, I you know, back in the '90s, could be. Back, I'm not gonna say I think he is, but I'm gonna say he could be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like we're gonna get sued or anything for like saying this guy murdered this woman, or maybe we will. I don't fucking know. He's he's, he's watching, listening, and then he's all like, "You made fun of me. <laughs> you made fun of me." <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna get me and my boys together and we're gonna slap your face. How about that? <laughs> and then I'll uh, huh, I'm gonna slap so you... you with a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. I'll hire that same man to kill you that killed my. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, what I meant to say, uh, the drugs that I was taking at the time couldn't adequately. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Oh man, that's the thing too. If he did do, I mean, how could he? How could he hold, cover this? If he was really that much of a simpleton, like how could he really cover this up for so long? I don't know. I, I mean, you you look at um, that's a mystery. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the other uh, segments on here that have never been solved and. You know, that uh, despite popular belief, you know, despite how TV wants to portray it, there are, you know, a lot of cases that do go unsolved and people oh, get, exactly. away, get away with it. I mean, they don't want anybody to know that because they don't want to encourage, you know, hey, I think mo- I, I also think there's a percentage or something where most of the cases are unsolved, really. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense. You think a lot about of them it. Are. I don't think it's a, a success rate of 50 percent. I don't even think it's 50-50. It's probably, you know, as messed up as that sounds. I mean, but that's kind of how it is. I mean, think about all the robberies and all the stu- other stuff that doesn't get solved. I mean. Right. There are a lot of open and shut cases, though, where it's just kind of like oh, boom, 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 you know. Yeah. But these are the. So maybe there's more open and shut cases than I think. There probably is. 
Yeah. Well, that's all I have to say about this case. Um, all I have to say, um, my, my stomach is saying something to me right now. It's yeah, saying, mine feed too. me. Mine See too. More. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a uh, some interesting segments. Uh, I we don't really know exactly. Was it the government dropped the blob? I don't know. I think it was. It's just a lot of I think it was. Yeah. I think it was this person. I think, or I, it, it might be this person. It might be this person. It might be the government. Who knows? But you guys don't listen to this to look for answers. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I just hope you guys enjoy the, the the podcast. That's 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 what I think. <laughs> I think I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. So we're on YouTube. Uh, Mike is. If you want to see more of us separately, but but equal, if you you know, Mike's on YouTube. www.youtube.com/slash/ocpcommunications. He does movie reviews and all kinds of stuff on there. there it's it's kind of like this podcast almost. He just talks in depth about uh, movies. Uh, I yeah. I mean, if you like podcasts, I mean, it's it's the only difference is that I do it in front of a camera and that's the thing i don't get is like oh it's too long or this whatever and i'm like if i did this in a podcast form i don't think i get hear as many people like going like complaining or whatever but no, no it no. is what it is and I, i'm just really passionate about you know film just like i'm passionate about this show so right you know, so, so he, just, you can find him on there and then what can i say I am uh, I am not as fancy as Mike, who has his own uh, URL. Uh, you you cannot look me up by a URL. You just have to type in the search bar on YouTube. Either dancing maybe with when you hit a thousand subs, maybe you'll be able. To. I think five hundred is when I get my own. Well, you're almost there. Yeah, I'm almost two hundred away. Well, uh, actually, one hundred and ninety-seven away. Um, oh. Search "Dancing with Ghosts" or the Overstimulation Station. That's how you'll find me in my videos. I do a bunch of different shit, video game reviews, uh, taste testing, various things, music stuff, like the top 10 songs that you can only find on movie soundtracks, or are game sequels always better, or Mario's, is he the most overrated video game character? Stuff like that. So, um, and we also have a Facebook page, which a lot of you have been interacting with, which is awesome. It's uh, facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Isn't it weird that I had to do it in this robot voice because I was too lazy to record another voice over?